Ephesians 4, if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't mind. And I'm uh, going to go back to the exact same passage as we conclude our Vision Sunday and really begin in earnest to head into the new year with a new goal, a new burden, and a new direction the Lord has called us to work toward. I do want to remind you, don't forget, next Sunday, revival will kick off, a New Year's revival next Sunday morning through Wednesday night. And they're going to have a great day on property next Sunday, dinner on the ground immediately following. I do want to encourage you, go on the church app and register for lunch, okay, so we can know how many to buy for. Uh, It is free. And uh, look, don't go on there and register for like extra people so you get extra plates, okay? I know what some of you are already thinking. We all have a sin nature. Let's not do that. No. Go on and register for you and your family. We want to have a huge turnout for that. Uh, I want you to come and hear the testimony of the evangelist that will be preaching for us. And I'm going to have a great lunch afterward and then go through Wednesday. do want to encourage you to be here a little early. Uh, We're going to have prayer room around 15 minutes prior to revival. Service is kicking off. Going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the service. And don't forget the 28th is going to be our young people taking over the service. Amen. I hear some of our guys are going to be preaching. The girls are writing their notes, but the guys will be preaching. Uh, I'm picking, all right. And uh, some of you just need to learn how to smile a little bit. And uh, they're going to be good singing. I think we're going to have some uh, kids playing out of the orchestra, things along that line. So I'm excited about that. And Brother Zach's doing a good job getting them uh, prepared to sing. So be here on the 28th to support them. If you're not here on the 28th, you're saying, I hate teenagers that serve the Lord. Okay? So I'm just telling you what you're saying if you're not here. Ephesians chapter 4, let's stand together. We're going to finish up our Vision Sunday launch tonight. Amen. You guys aren't laughing back there behind me, are you? All right. Just making sure. As long as you're smiling, we're all right. Okay? Ephesians chapter number 4. Look back down, if you will, verse 11. We're going to go over it again. Uh, You'll see these verses many times throughout the year this year if the Lord tarries. The Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I'm thankful God gave us those, aren't you? I'm thankful for their influence in my life. Verse 12, for the perfecting, the completing there of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, watch verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and, in the, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Let's pray again this evening. Ask the Lord to bless. Father, I do thank you for the great day. Thank you, Lord, that there have been souls saved today. Thank you, Lord, for those who have followed in baptism. Thank you, Father, for blessing the great spirit, the great singing. Thank you for our people and our church. Thank you for being interested in us, for giving us, Lord, a part in your work this year, if you should tarry. Lord, I pray that you would help us consider the thought of having, Father, an encounter with Christ, walking closer with Christ, and, Lord, becoming more like Christ. Help us tonight in the message, Father, to accomplish just that. And I pray your will be done, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we jump right into our theme, trying to introduce it and explain it a little bit, and talking about how the importance of change that needs to come about in our life will stem from encountering Christ. 
And uh, I don't know how many times since probably August we were going over our theme and trying to get the idea funneled into exactly a way that's easy to remember and a way that is easy for us to get the idea uh, that's behind it. And we went back and forth on the word encounter many times and uh, it kind of sounds like aliens, right? Uh, having an alien encounter. Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about having an encounter with Christ. But how many times in Scripture do we see someone having that encounter and it changed their life? It didn't just change their eternal life, as we spoke about this morning. It went on to change every aspect of their life and how beautiful that is. And that's our need today, all right? We can try to micromanage our problems, micromanage our needs, but in the end, you'd be amazed at how many of those shortcomings, those problems and burdens we have, that they would be sorted out if we truly had an encounter with Christ. I think we'd be amazed tonight to know how many of those things would kind of fall into the shadows and fade into the shadows if we did. Now, oftentimes when we think about change, it's a bad word, right? Uh, we think about our life changing because of an encounter with Christ. Oftentimes, here's what we think. Well, the closer I get to Christ, the greater the chance I'm going to be called to be a missionary to Africa, Right? It's always Africa. I don't know. That's the scariest place for us. I've been there. I, I quite enjoyed it, to be totally honest with you. But we are fearful that the change of an encounter with Christ would bring in our life is a change that is unpleasant. Now, let's be honest. That's the truth. Uh, that's the fear of submitting and surrendering to the will of God, that God's going to bring about change in my life, and it's going to be change that I don't like. Uh, I'm going to have to, guys, become a preacher, and all. Oh, that's just a miserable life, Right? I hope you don't look at me and think I'm miserable. I, I love my life. I'm thankful for it. Why? It's a great privilege to serve God. Amen. We think, hey, God's going to call me. If I have an encounter with Christ, not only am I going to have to do more churchy kind of things, but I'm also going to have to stop doing more me things, right? We're fearful what it's going to cost us. If I allow an encounter with Christ and a closeness with Christ in my life to take place, I'm going to have to let go of something that I, I love dearly. Can we just pause right there and say for a moment, uh, if Christ, in an encounter with Christ in your life, cost you something and calls you from something, I promise you, he knows best. Uh, I know there was a show years ago about Father knowing best. I don't know that I've ever seen that one, but I'll tell you this, our Father knows best. Our Father knows best. And if he says, hey, listen, because of your encounter with me, hey, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they're sitting there and they're looking at their nets. Can I ask you tonight, is there anything sinful about a fish net? No, not unless you're fishing during church time, all right? Nothing sinful about it whatsoever. The Bible says straightway they left their nets. And can I tell you, whatever you have to leave behind in order to follow Christ, I'll promise you, you didn't need it to begin with. Can you imagine old Peter trying to serve God, trying to walk on water, dragging that net behind him? Hey, you had to let it go. Why? In following Christ, it's necessary to let go of whatever he wants us to let go of. But that's why we fear change. The truth about the matter is tonight, as we begin to look into the Word of God, and throughout this year we're going to do this. I don't know if you've taken the time to look at your, uh, the little card that has the family devotional helps on there. These are characteristics of Christ. As we seek to become more like Christ... It automatically means we have to become less like us. Now look, I, I know you like you, right? Uh, you like you. I, I, I'm even learning, listen, girls aren't the only ones that like looking in mirrors. Uh, we got some guys that like looking in mirrors, all right? There's they, they some, they some uh, decent looking guys here. You might like you, but can I tell you something? You'll like Jesus a whole lot more. 
if you let him change you. Tonight, I want to finish up our, our Vision Sunday with the thought of the effects of encountering Christ. I want to show you some of the effects of encountering Christ. We looked at Bartimaeus this morning. His outlook was changed. We'll talk about that later, Lord willing, in the year. Uh, we look at the demoniac. I mean, his whole lifestyle changed. We'll look at that later. But I want to zoom in on something that perhaps you're looking for anyway. Do you know tonight, oftentimes I find myself as a Christian, even as a pastor, as a preacher, as long as I've been preaching, I find myself oftentimes running from things I'm looking for. Do you know when you are running from God, believe it or not, you're really running from what you're looking for. Because what you're looking for can only be found in God. The truth of the matter is tonight that what you're looking for to fill the void in your life can only be found in God. And when you're running from God, you are literally running from what you're looking for. Now tonight, what you're looking for may actually be found, believe it or not, by drawing closer with Christ and having a personal encounter with Christ. And I'm going to show you three things out of the passage tonight that we preached out of this morning on the effects of encountering Christ. Now look down. One is very simple. It's right there in the verse when you look at verse number 13. The Bible says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now remember, here's Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, and how many times did he reference Christ? We saw the name of Christ mentioned three times, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 15. But then if you'll go back and read in between, you'll see many times it references him. He's telling them Christ is what you're looking for. Christ is the standard you measure up to. But watch this. As Christ became the center of what they were looking for, notice what was a byproduct of that. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Watch this tonight. Number one, when we encounter Christ, we also encounter unity. When we come to the place where we all encounter Christ, we are finding the common bond and a common denominator for unity. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something tonight. This is not something that is easy to come by in this world. You're going to be hard-pressed to find two people in this room that agree on everything, and I'm including husbands and wives, all right? Uh, my wife and I disagree. I think Nick Saban was a great coach, all right? All of you Alabama people, help me out. Amen. All right, I did that for you, okay? And my wife's like, well, we're LSU people, therefore we cannot like Nick Saban. She even calls him Nick Satan, Okay. We can't like him, all right? We disagree on that. You're not going to find two people in this room who agree on everything whatsoever. So how do you get a church to work together? How do you get people to come together as a body? By the way, he's speaking to a church, the church at Ephesus. And watch how he says that they're working toward unity till we all come. They are working toward that. How do they work toward that? By encountering Christ. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. No, it's always going back to Christ, and it's working toward what? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. You see, unity occurs when Christ becomes the cause of our crusade. Unity comes, listen, in a church when Christ becomes the cause for our crusade. Now, think about it this way tonight. Imagine how many different personalities you have in the United States military. We have a lot of veterans here tonight. We'll honor them this year uh, several times. And uh, many have given their life for this country that we could have the wonderful liberty and freedom to worship God. Thank God for them. Amen. The Bible says, greater love hath no man that he lay his life down. I'm thankful for people who've done that so we could be here tonight. But you think about the United States military. 
uh, in my belief, the most powerful military on the planet. You see the great aircraft carriers we have and the destroyers we have and the marching army that we have. And look at how many diverse personalities are out there. How many diverse beliefs and religions are out there. But how on earth do they work together to accomplish victory? It's because they have a common cause. They have a common cause. You know what it is? The red, white, and blue, old glory, the United States of America, they have a common cause. Now, as great as our country is, and I'm so thankful for it. Look, you ought to be thankful for it. You ought to thank God for it. If you're not thankful for it, go to another one, all right? And then come back to this one because you'll be thankful for it then because there's not another one like it out there. But they work together with a common cause, and I'm thankful for that. But wait a minute. We as God's people have an even greater cause. What is the cause? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our common bond. That is our commonality. Can I tell you something? There is nothing that will overshadow Christ. Are there differences? Absolutely. These guys have their shoe preferences. Some of them are Jordan guys. Some of them are Van guys. We got boot kids in here. One of the Montgomery little fellas showed me his new boots this morning. I said, pull it off. Let me see it. He pulls it off. I smelled it. You know, new boots have a new boot smell, right? I remember my dad coming home from the boot store. He used to wear boots with his blue jeans, and he'd come on a new pair of boots and call me weird, okay? You have your eccentricities too. I'd smell his boot. That new boot smell, right? We got boot guys, tennis shoe guys, van guys. We got some guys that wear Crocs, amen? I'm right there with you. I love them from time to time. Me and Noah, we wear those Crocs, all right? All the different personalities, all the differences we have here tonight. But I'll tell you something. There is not one difference that will ever overshadow the common bond that we have in Christ. That's why he says here, till we all come in the unity of the faith. What is at the core of our faith? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's at the core of it. You see, an encounter with Christ will produce unity. Think about it this way. The disciples. Boy, what a motley crew. You had fishermen tax collectors, you had a zealot amongst them, you had a a liar and a thief, and you know, that could be the tax collector too, but no, I'm just picking, you know, you had all of those people together sitting at one table. I mean, haven't you seen the painting of the Last Supper? As far as I can tell, in the painting, nobody's scrapping. Now, I know it's just a painting. How did those group of men of such diverse backgrounds, intellects, and experiences come together? It was Christ. It was Christ. You see, it was through Christ and an encounter with Christ that they found the unity of those people, those men. Years ago, I went on an elk hunt, I think it was 2013, up in Colorado. And uh, we're sitting around one day in the, the, lodge, the cabin that we had rented to stay in. We're hunting on a cattle ranch. And we're sitting in the cabin, and uh, I had to barter my way to go on the trip. It was quite expensive to go hunt elk, and so I, I found a way to barter my way. I, I paid for my license by laying flooring for one of the men, uh, and I paid for my, my lodge by being the cook. Yes, I was the cook. Uh, and nobody died for the elk hunt while we're up there. And we're sitting there, and no, I did not wear an apron, but I come out, and I'm putting spaghetti on the table, and we sit around this table. And let me tell you what was sitting around that table. First, we had the pastor sitting there. We had the CEO of a company. We had a lawyer and a professional baseball player. Now, that sounds like the beginning of a good joke, doesn't it? A pastor, a CEO, a lawyer, and a professional baseball player are sitting around a kitchen table. It's going to get funny real quick. What were we all doing at that table? 
But we see we had a common bond. All of us had traveled from uh, northeast Louisiana to go up to Colorado to hunt elk. You see, there was a common denominator that fused together such variety of backgrounds. There at the table, we had several different denominations. Matter of fact, one of the men was Catholic. I'd later lead to Christ years later. There were so many differences at that table. But can I tell you, there was a common bond that brought us there, and it was elk hunting. Now, folks, can I tell you, if that motley crew of guys could get together to go out and go elk hunting, can I tell you, we as God's people, through an encounter with Christ, can come together in unity for the cause of Christ. When Christ is the cause of our crusade, that's when unity begins to come through. Now, I want you to think about this church at Ephesus. Are we under the impression tonight, and have we convinced ourselves, that this church at Ephesus were a group of cookie-cutter people? who all liked the same things and did the same things and acted the same way. I dare say that was not the case. What kept them moving? Well, Paul says you got to get around Christ, get around Christ, get around Christ. And what does it produce? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, was dealing with division. And as Paul begins to address it in chapter number 1, he asks him a very important question right out of the gate in verse number 13. Here's what he says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? So you had these guys who were baptized by these guys, and these guys were baptized by these guys. So, well, I'm with this guy, and I'm with this guy. And Paul answers the question simply by asking this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Here's what he's saying. You find unity in Christ. You find unity in Christ. None of the things that were dividing them could overshadow what they had in common, and what they had in common was Christ. What is unity? Well, unity simply is when you decide what's going to be at the center of your universe and everything revolves around that. You know what Paul tells the church at Ephesus? It's Christ. And Paul says when it's Christ, watch it, he says it in verse 12. We're working toward the body of Christ. Verse 13, the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, the head, even Christ. The Bible says we're growing up into him. And when he is at the center and everything revolves around him, guess what? You'd be amazed at how much unity you'd have when Christ is at the center of it all. So what happens? Well, when we encounter Christ, we also learn to encounter unity. Ephesians 4, 3, Paul says this. Look down. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There he is speaking about unity again. But notice the unity is centered around something. What is it? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice the unity is revolving, capital S, around the Spirit. Now, why is this important? Well, I'll tell you, especially for a church. Listen to me. I heard the story years ago, and it's probably the best story that I can give you on unity Someone said once, there can be union without unity. You can have a union without unity. And the illustration they gave, great illustration, and I'm going to go ahead and preface this. Do not do this, guys. Okay? Do not do this. There can be union without unity. How? Well, you take two cats and you tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline. You have union, but you definitely don't have unity. Right? Now, what is the difference between having a union and having unity? Let me explain it to you. The difference is one is a presence and the other has a production. 
do you know there's a lot of us here tonight and we are in union. We are united here tonight. We are here together, okay? So there is a union of people here tonight. Uh, we're the local 316, amen, right? We're the, some of you will get that later. We're a union of people. We've come together. But just because there's a union doesn't mean there's unity. Why? A union speaks of a presence. We are all there at the same time. But unity speaks of production. Do you know, I believe that is probably one of the biggest things that plagues our marriages today. We have union, but we don't have unity. There's a union. Yes, there is a marriage license. Yes, there is a ring. And yes, there's cohabitation under the same roof. There is union there, but there's not unity. So how do you know? It's not producing anything. Can I tell you, God doesn't want Central Baptist Church just to be a union of people. God wants us to have unity. What does it do? It pro produces something. Romans 15, 5, let me give you this and we'll move on. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one to another according to Christ Jesus. According to what? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Now hear me out tonight. Unity is a wonderful side effect of what? Encountering Christ. But then watch this real quickly. Look down and... Um, I'll tell you what, get down to verse number 13 again. Till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the what? The fullness of Christ. Now listen to me. Unity is great. You didn't realize that having an encounter with Christ will produce unity. Watch. When you come to the table that Christ is seated at, you'll be amazed at the different kind of people you see across that table. Why? Because Christ can unify and bring unity to a wide variety of people. But wait a minute. The Bible ends in verse 13 saying this. We're trying to measure up to what? The stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest, if, if, we're, if we'll allow our flesh to have any influence over our life, the thought of having the fullness of Christ is not something we always look forward to. I'm just being honest with you. The fullness of Christ means I am full of him and there is none of me. And once again, we like me, correct? But wait a minute. Could I rephrase that for you, not taking away from the Word of God and not changing the Word of God? Let me rephrase this for you. If we rephrase the fullness of Christ to, watch this, fulfillment in Christ, now that's a totally different story. When you start talking about, hey, you need the fullness of Christ in your life, and the young people are thinking, man, I don't know if I want that yet. I don't want God to just take over my life because I want to live my life. And if we're honest adults, we think that too sometimes. I don't know if I want the fullness of Christ in my life. I want to live a little bit, and then when I'm old, like 44 years old, well, then I'll have the fullness of Christ. But wait a minute. We run from the fullness of Christ, but wait, what if it meant fulfillment in Christ? Well, maybe I might would tune into that. The truth is, tonight, a child of God will only find fulfillment in Christ. That's why, watch this, when we encounter Christ... We encounter fulfillment. The fullness of Christ. Can I tell you tonight, you'd probably be amazed, or at least I was when I thought about it, at how many things you did in order for you to find fulfillment. You, you would be amazed. I'll give you an example. Uh, Miss Christy told my wife that there's a good Dollar Tree over on 589 toward Oak Grove. And she asked me, hey, can we go to Dollar Tree? I said, absolutely. It's like right here. She goes, no, I want to go to a good one. I'm like, well, aren't they all good? 
And she says, no, Miss Chris, she said, there's a good one over there. All right, now the cat's out of the bag. Everybody's going to go over there and mess it up. And so we drove all the way over 589, and we went in this good Dollar Tree, and sure enough, it is a good one. I actually took the time to walk over to the young man who was the manager of the store. I says, can I tell you something? He says, sure. I says, this is the best Dollar Tree I've ever been in. It's actually a Dollar 25 tree now, but, you know, you get it. It's easier on the sign to be like Dollar Tree instead of Dollar 25 tree, you know. They need to put plus 25 on there. I said, this is the best dollar, dollar Tree I've ever been in. So Leslie had some of her birthday money left over that her, her mom had given her some birthday money. And she wanted to go in and buy some crafty stuff and do some crafty stuff at the house. And, uh, and so she goes in and, man, she is just having a ball going up and down this little craft aisle there at Dollar Tree. And, and so I'm not interested in the crafts, just to be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to the food. And... Um, I go over there, and uh, it's ama- they just have some good stuff there. Uh, it's been a long time since I have checked out at Dollar Tree, and we're getting all of our stuff there, uh, and the lady says that'll be $100, and um, it was. It was over $100 worth of stuff, mostly her birthday money, but um, I walk through there. I love thick-cut bologna, all right? You can tell I'm full of it, right? Thick-cut bologna. <laughs> some of you were thinking it, so I went ahead and said it. Um, I love thick-cut bologna. They had it there, a buck twenty-five. They had salami. So I get some of that. I'm just starting to stack here. And I walk through there, and they've got Takis. And I walk through there, and they have these lemonade drinks that I like, uh, Black Rifle coffee. They had all of that there, and I'm just loading my arm. And around the corner, my wife makes eye contact with me. And I walk over to her buggy. Kaboom. I dump it in. I said, you shouldn't have brought me here. I'm just saying you shouldn't have brought me here. I wasn't done. <laughs> I was nowhere near done. That was just aisle one. I went over to the next aisle. They have frozen foods. I found pot stickers full of bulgogi. I, I sent Brother T.J. Mitchell a picture. I said, hey, remember, he's the one who taught me to eat bulgogi. So I said, they got these at Dollar Tree. I loaded it up, and we got ready to leave, and I'm sitting there watching on the conveyor belt all this food there. And then the shame begins to set in. I had canned cheese. I had gummies. I had all kinds of stuff. I even had Twinkie coffee. They have Twinkie coffee now. I threw some, it's $1.25. Throw it up there. And I'm sitting there watching the conveyor go by. And I'm thinking, wow. I probably could have went out for a steak dinner for what I got, the thick cut bologna and the salami. But I got variety out of it. Here's what I found out about myself. What I found out was I am attracted to and willing to pay for things that bring me fulfillment. I got home. It was just like, she put it out there on the, the counter at the house before she put it in there. And I, you feel rich, you know, like Henry VIII with the uh, turkey legs sitting there. All of this good stuff that was there. But you know, it was all stuff that brings me fulfillment. It brings me fulfillment. But you know, as soon as I sat down and ate some of that food or I drank one of those coffees, it was good while I drank it, but after a while, that fulfillment was gone. That's the best this world can do is offer you a temporary, momentary fulfillment. But wait a minute. The Bible says that when I have an encounter with Christ, I get the fullness of Christ. And I don't think Christ can be equated to something I can buy at Dollar Tree that comes and goes. I kind of have a feeling that it's something that lingers a little while. That when I find fulfillment in Christ, it truly is something fulfilling. Les and I were out door knocking a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I can't remember when it was, and walking around the community, and we don't get to knock doors a lot together. She'll pair up with other people, and I'll pair up with other people. And we went together, and we're walking around, wind's blowing a little cold, and we sat there, and we talked with a young man, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and inviting his family to church, and got in the car, and I says, isn't this fulfilling? 
Isn't it fulfilling when you do the will of God? I mean, that will touch something on the inside of you better and last longer than anything this world has to offer. Now, all of us are seeking fulfillment. That's why so many of us are in debt. That's why so many of us have to hop from this, that, and the other to find something bigger and better. We are searching for fulfillment. And yet, believe it or not, you'll find fulfillment when you have a true encounter with Christ. It's there. Why? That's why it's called the fullness of Christ. Someone said, a man finds joy when he fulfills the design of God's creation of him. And that is a joy that can never be quenched. I couldn't help but think of Paul today in Philippians. Here's Paul. He's in prison. If I'm in prison, I want sympathy. But as Paul sits in prison, he's giving sympathy. (laughs) Totally contrary to our nature, isn't it? That when you're going through a tough time and you're going through a battle, for you to be sympathetic to the people who aren't going through it. And yet, that's what Paul is doing. Listen close. Paul says, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Now, could we read between the lines, does it sound like Paul is depressed? It doesn't. I kind of feel like he's hollering out the prison bars, hey guys, Listen, quit crying, quit worrying. Hey, all the things that are happening to me are happening to me for the furtherance of the gospel. It almost sounds like he's finding fulfillment in it. You know, we can find fulfillment in our difficult times if we know that those difficult times are ordained by God. That, hey, this is part of it. Yes, I don't like the Mamertine prison. Yes, it's cold and it's dark and it's damp. I don't like it, but this is part of his place. So how do you know that? Well, watch what it says in verse 12, Philippians 1. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. He knew that his bonds were in Christ. You see, there was a day that Paul had an encounter with Christ. We know the story well, don't we, on the road to Damascus. And ever since then, he tried to live in Christ. And even in the prison, he found fulfillment. Why? Because he first had an encounter with Christ. One of my favorite verses, Psalms 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thy heart. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Meaning, seek fulfillment only from the Lord and in Christ. That's where I'm going to find my fulfillment, in Christ. Now, there's a choice that has to be made. You have to choose to delight thyself in the Lord. That I'm not going to go delight myself in what the world has to offer. Can I ask you, if the far country was so delightful, why did the prodigal son go home? Why did he go home? He says, man, I will be so fulfilled if I can go to the far country and blow the lights of it. And the desire and the lure are there. But notice the fulfillment didn't last very long. If the fruit was so fulfilling, why did it cost Eve her life? Think about it. The Bible says, watch, when we have an encounter with Christ, we draw close to Christ, walk with Christ. The Bible says we find unity, but we also find fullness. But it's not a fullness of the world, it's a fullness of Christ. 
I'll give you this before I give you the last point. Stephen, one of my heroes in the Bible, I look forward to meeting Stephen when I get to heaven. Here's Stephen when he dies, and as they execute him, he says, lay this not to their charge. It's exactly what Christ said in the manner of speaking. What's amazing is when you go back and look at Acts chapter 6, when they called Stephen, the Bible says he was a man, watch this, full of faith. He was filled. So here's a man being executed, and somehow, in a way that I don't know that my brain can comprehend it, he's even finding fulfillment in his execution. Why? Well, long before that moment, Stephen had an encounter with Christ. So number two tonight, when we encounter Christ, we encounter fulfillment. Fulfillment. I don't know about you, that's something all of us crave. Finally, I want you to look down, verse 14, and we'll close with this tonight. The Bible says that, now he's carrying over from verse 13, we need to have that fullness of Christ. Why? Because this is what he desires for us, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, this is an important change. I don't know about you, but I need in my life more and more every day. What is happening? Well, suddenly an encounter with Christ produces unity and it produces fulfillment. And yet now we see in verse number 14 that when we have an encounter with Christ and Christ is the center of our life, not only are we unified around him, but we're now anchored in him. Because the Bible says we are not blown or tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So number three tonight, when we encounter Christ, we encounter consistency. Consistency. Is that not what he's saying in verse number 14? We look at our kids. Um, was it Brother Michael? Was it you I was talking to the other day about Kagan when he was sick? And you're talking about he was whining. I think it was you. He was whining. You give him a toy. You know when your kids are sick, you're kind of a little bit extra gracious and lenient. And you give him a toy. He says, I, I want that toy. And you give him that toy. And was it about two minutes later? I don't want that toy. That's the way kids are, aren't we? They see this shiny thing, they drop that shiny thing. They see this that they want, they drop what they already had, and they go back and forth and back and forth. That is a characteristic of a child. Notice a child is tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? The old Disney movie Chitty Bang Bang, all right? Uh, I forget who I was talking to the other day about this. I think it was Miss Laura. It was Miss Laura we are talking about it. And there's a guy on there. And he's this really creepy guy who captures children. Do you know who I'm talking about? He has this long nose, and it's an old Dick Van Dyke movie. It's just a, a great story, Chitty Bang Bang, and you know. This guy comes into this town, and he's got this long nose and this really shrivelly voice, and he is a creeper world class. He comes into town, and he's got candy for these children. We have candy, we have candy, we have candy. And I'm thinking, if that guy ever came into my neighborhood, I'm locking the doors and getting the gun out. You watch this kid. They climb right up in the back of his wagon and get captured. You're thinking, yeah, dumb kids. Dumb kids. How could you get in the truck with that man? I mean, good, grace is alive. He was scary to begin with. I don't care if he did have candy, and he didn't. And yet, listen to me tonight, sometimes we are children in our faith. 
So how do you know? Well, we're tossed, in, we're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. I mean, this comes along, blows you this way. This comes along, blows you that way, uproots you. There's no deepness there. Can I tell you, when you have an encounter with Christ, and Christ becomes the center of your life, and we have unity in Christ and fulfillment in Christ, now we can find consistency in Christ. To where? Watch. What does Paul say in the book of Colossians? Rooted in him. Rooted in him. Colossians chapter number 2 verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Do you know what you're rooted in and what you're grounded in is going to say a lot of how long you last. Your consistency in your faith and the call of Christ on your life to stand for him in a dark and a wicked perverse world all comes down to what you're rooted in. If you're rooted in your feelings, you're not going to be there very long. If you're rooted in people, you're not going to be very, rooted very long. If you're rooted in the pastor, you're not going to be rooted very long. But all if you're rooted in Christ, the Bible says not only are we rooted, but we're built up in him. We're established in our faith. You find some consistency. No matter when the wind blows, you're faithful. How did that come? Well, it all began with an encounter with Christ, and now you encounter consistency in your life. Next Sunday, less than a week away, I have been praying for this revival, I think, more than I have prayed for any revival I have ever been a part of. And do you know what revival really boils down to? Revival boils down to you revisiting your encounter. That's what revival is. I want to go back to the place. When I met Christ, I was close to Christ, and I let Christ change me. I let Christ charge me. I want to go back to that place. Because over the course of time, and aren't you thankful when you read down there in verse number 11, the Bible says he gave evangelists. God sent these people in every once in a while. Have a revival. Why? Get you back to the place where you're reminded of your encounter. Boy, you remember what it was like. You had a burden for lost people. You didn't care what Christ called you to do or ask of you. You were submitted to it. Why? You had a fresh encounter with Christ. And then we drift away. Do you know what we need tonight in order to have consistency in our faith? We need to revisit our encounter. I find Paul amazing personally next to Christ I think Paul in my opinion by reading the word of God I think Paul was the most consistent Christian I I read about he's just consistent no matter what's thrown at him no matter what he does he just kind of keeps trucking like he doesn't see it like he doesn't feel it he's beaten with rods he's shipwrecked he's hungry in perils of everything and Paul just kind of he's consistent 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 how on earth did he do it you ever wonder that I look at some of you people, and I won't tell you who you are, and I think you're super Christians. I, I really do. I think you're those super Christians that I want to aspire to as a Christian myself. And I, What makes them tick? What vitamins do you take? How often do you run laps around your neighborhood? What is it that makes you tick? Can I tell you what I believe in the lives of super Christians we know, and then super Christians like Paul? Can I tell you what I believe kept them consistent? They never drifted far from their encounter with Christ. Read your Bible. How many times do you hear Paul telling his testimony? Remember I was on the road to Damascus, this bright line shining down. I hit the light shining down. I hit the ground. Looked up, Lord, what are we having to do? You hear Paul repeating his testimony. He goes back to his encounter. And it was so real to him. And it was so close to him. That that encounter with Christ produced a consistency in his life. 
That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know for, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He said, stay consistent. Stay consistent. How do I stay consistent? Go back to your encounter with Christ. Let it be so real that the whole world could be inconsistent and it wouldn't change you. Because what happened to you when you got saved and the walk you have with Christ now that you are saved is so real, nobody could even talk you out of it. What are the effects of encountering Christ? Well, number one, you also encounter unity. When we encounter Christ, it's amazing. When Christ is at the head of our table, it's amazing the unity you have with other people at the table. But Christ has got to be at the head. But not only that, all of a sudden when Christ, we have that encounter with Christ, you start finding fulfillment in him. That even in your difficult times, even in the prison, you're finding fulfillment. Why? Because it's bonds in Christ. And then what do we find? Finally, we find that consistency that is there. This year, as we head into this new theme, I promise you, we are going to need that encounter to have unity, fulfillment, and consistency. Let's stand together tonight. Let's have our heads bowed and have a moment of invitation. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. How are you?